I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bobby, what does he say? You don't fucking what? It don't fucking matter? What is it? He says something like that, no? Uh, uh, who the fuck is that guy? Who the fuck is that guy? Yeah, but you don't fuck. There's another fucking one that you were saying, dude, that I'm trying to remember. That was awesome. You'll do nothing? Maybe you'll do nothing. nothing. That was it. You'll do nothing. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's your coach, the Coach HP Show. Today's episode, before I get into anything of subscribing or anything, I got to hit up our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Positivity. Now in 2021, with Valentine's Day around the corner, yes, it's the month of love, but you can't spell love without spelling positivity. There's positivity and love all the time, so please remember, if you're not having a good day, you're not having a good month, Something's going wrong. Positivity is free. It has access, equal access to all of us. We all have equal access to positivity. Tap into it. Use it. It'll get you through your day, get you through your week, your month, and then it becomes your year. So thank you so much for that. Please subscribe, subscribe, suscríbete, subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for the subscription. Thank you for the support. Today's guest is the one and only Roberto Fox, Roberto Fox, also known as Robbie Fox of Barstool Sports. We talk about everything from dealing with depression at a young age, dealing with some family issues, coming out of that, being strong with his family, issues with his dad, very common with me, to rising in, dreaming one day of working at Barstool, getting that golden opportunity to be part of the team, dealing with anxiety, with the interviewing stuff you wouldn't know it now just going through those personal struggles and then absolutely crushing it getting into the mma world becoming the face of barstool mma boys with dana white one of the best interviews best tours of his own office with dana white was robbie's interview with dana was amazing then probably the best story going from fan super fan of conor mcgregor being there supporting him when he left the courthouse after the Khabib whole thing, to sitting down and personally interviewing him one-on-one in Abu Dhabi in Dubai. Beautiful story. Love this dude. Give him a follow. Robbie Fox on all platforms. Has a bunch of podcasts, bunch of stuff out. I'll link it below. Without further delay, here we go with my man, Roberto Robbie Fox. Of Barstool Sports. Hey, 
two, one, boom, and we're on. Bro, first of all, for this podcast, you're known as Roberto Fox, not Robbie. You got that? So it's love it. <laughs> it's Roberto. I love it. Bro, you with long hair, right? I, I celebrate hair for obvious reasons, right? You got a great set of hair. How's life with the long hair versus when you had it shorter? Man, it's not too different because I still wear hats all the time. My hair is so thick and wavy and crazy that I throw a hat on every morning when I wake up just to uh, just to kind of contain it all. If I don't, I look like I just got electrocuted. But uh, I don't know. It's all right. I'm a big rock and roll fan, so I feel like I've wanted rock and uh, like rock and roll long hair forever. So I'm using the quarantine to say, screw it. If I don't need to be seen every day, I could just grow it out as long as I want. We're going George Harrison with this. It'll be down to here and uh, who knows when. Dude, are we going to ponytail it up soon? Soon, soon, very soon. <laughs> can, can you even do the samurai ponytail or not yet? Yeah, I can do the samurai. I, yeah. I do the samurai for, you know, you know, the stupid Snapchats and Instagram stories. And yeah, of course. I love it, dude. I love it, man. Robbie, <laughs> I, th I think this time right now, man, it's so, it's so special. And it's so awesome. Not only what's happening to you, but the way you've been passionate dedicated and honest with what your journey has been and your future, man. And if there's anybody that deserves the success they're having, it's you. And if there's a lot of specialness going on with what's going on right now, man, it's you. How do you feel about where you are right now? Were you like, I always saw this, I envisioned this, or are you like, bro, I just got fucking lucky as hell? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for everything you said there. That was very nice. That was, that was very nice of you to say, kind. Um, it's kind of a mix of both. As far as like the barstool stuff, I would say, yes, I always envisioned uh, me being a barstool, always envisioned working in like entertainment in some way. I would say I always wanted to like entertain people, which is ironic because I'm sure we'll talk about the anxiety and stuff. But like, <laughs> you know, those two things going hand in hand is funny, but Uh, as far as everything that's happened at Barstool, that's way beyond anything I ever could have dreamed up, anything I ever even, not even, it's weird to say like when people say beyond my wildest dreams, because it's not even like I was dreaming anything like this and like crazy shit is happening. Or can I curse on this? You can do whatever the fuck you want. Oh, You're the right. right. Fox, dude. Just making sure. Um, <laughs> but just like all, all over the place from the rough and rowdy commentary to the pup punk, like being able to do like rock and roll shows literally with my friends um to doing the mcgregor stuff to doing wrestling stuff there's so many different like freedoms that barstool allows you to have that i never could have imagined a place would exist to to give you those freedoms but i was a fan of barstool for so long and i was applying for so long that there definitely was a big part of me that was uh envisioning myself one day being at barstool yeah that is awesome dude you're how old now 22 turned 22. 22 this summer july okay so you were born 97 98 98 okay so i'm 42 so we had 20 years apart big rob we uh you mentioned barstool man i didn't know barstool existed till last year you've known it existed since you were like what like 12 years old or something 12 yeah 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 that's really? uh that's credit to my older cousins that's 
I had older cousins that were in college when I was like 12. I have a, an older brother that's 12 years older than me and an older sister that's nine years older than me. So there's a big gap between like me and a lot of my cousins. And I, I kind of just always grew up with like different sets of uh, like parents, I say all over the place that like helped me, helped to raise me, helped me grow up and stuff. And my older cousin, Mark, and, uh, and his sister's uh, now husband, Chris, introduced me to Barstool just because they posted funny videos at the time. It was like basically just like a blog. You would go on it. They would post funny sports content, funny right, like right, right. fail videos, whatever. And then they would have really funny blogs underneath the videos that, you know, were sometimes funnier than the videos themselves. So I just started looking at it through that. I would start seeing the merch they put out. I thought it was funny. And then the more and more I watched the personality content, the Dave, Big Cat, um, KFC at the time, those were really the only people. Smitty was involved. Trent was involved, which is funny. Now he lives with me. He's my roommate. Um, but I, I just thought it was so funny that they were like basically getting paid. You know, it was their job to be friends in my mind. I was like, they're, they're like just this is like what friends do. And like, right. that's the whole thing. That's the whole point of the website. It's amazing. thought they were so funny. So from there, I started like applying, like from the time I was like 13, 14, I would send in t-shirt designs. I would send in podcast samples. I would send in blog samples, anything that I could think of that they would do. I would try to like edit a video and be like, look, I could do video editing too. I was like, I just want to be in this company in any capacity. Cause like I said, it looks like they're getting paid to be friends and it looked awesome. I love how you described it, bro, because I did it totally different. I I heard about it, and I was like, fuck, man. Let me – I had two big meetings in New York 2020, and I go, and I liked what I saw. And my, my best friend – not my best friend, the guy who I worked with, because I'm like the kid whisperer, Robbie Fox. I became known – I'm the biggest failure in the history of Miami baseball by far, bro. So I started to tell people on camera why I messed up, where my where my dad fucked up, like all these things. We're gonna get to that later. But my barstool thing's interesting because I was supposed to meet somebody at barstool. It didn't happen. Corona hits. I go fuck it. I'm gonna. Erica popped up on my thing because of something happened, and I'm gonna reach out to this lady. I reached out to her. She DM'd me that day. I had her on my show. She was the first guest of the Coach HP show. And then I went on her show, Token CEO in New York. You weren't at the office that day when I was there. After that day, it was so funny because I was on that day and they put me on the yak after, Big Cat put me on the yak after. And I thought I was set, bro. I left there so happy and stuff like that. And I say that because I know you reached out to Barstool plenty of times. You got close plenty of times. You were so young to deal with rejection that that's how that's bro. That's probably fucking 80% of the whole thing because I'm, some of the people are like, you know what? Fuck these guys. They think they're this and that and they didn't, and they would give up. Robbie Fox didn't give up. Why didn't you give up, bro? It's a good question. And like, there were definitely nights cause I applied for so long. Like you said, like, I think I got my first reply from big cat when I was 14 and it was very nice. He was just like, dude, like, cool stuff. We can't hire you. You're 14. Like, come on, like do, do the math here. You're in high school. You're a freshman in high school. Um, I obviously didn't understand that. I was like, why not? I'll fucking come home after school blog. I'll do a t-shirt design for you right. if you want. Right. And my thing was I would like watch the rundown every night 
And whatever Dave said, I would try to design like a shirt per night for the rundown. I was like, you could definitely get a shirt out of every one, right? And I didn't really know much about it. So I took like a graphic design class in high school. And that allowed me to eventually, I learned enough in that graphic design course to uh, get a graphic design job that where I could pick my own hours in high school, where I could like eventually get to start vlogging and stuff like that. But to go back to your actual question, like the rejection, there would be nights where I would just be in bed. And I remember being so frustrated being like, I'm sending them shirts every night. Are they even opening the emails? Like, or is anyone even like reading these? I think I tried to get like a notification thing on my email too, to see if uh, like people would open emails and I don't think it ever worked. I don't, I don't know if those things are a scam or what, but um, yeah, I just, I was very determined and I was determined not to go to college. I think it was almost like a fear of college. I was like, and I did. I went to community college for a semester before I got offered the full-time gig at Barstool. But That's awesome. I was so like, I had, I actually dropped out of college before I even told my mom I got the full-time gig. Like I was so determined to get out of college because I hated school so much. Uh, and I was so like, I feel like I don't need uh, college. I was so like, I think I can do like what I love to do without that, that I just went, I, I got the offer from Erica when I was 18 and, or maybe I just, just turned 19 at that point. And she, uh, she offered me the job and I was like, absolutely. I went to my computer, dropped out of college and I called my mom. I was like, I've got great news. Nice. I got the job for Barstool and I dropped out. She was like, uh, uh, okay. And at that point, like even just four years ago, Barstool was not as big as it is right now. So I think there was still a lot of skepticism on my mom's part. She was like, still going to take like online courses at the community college, right? Yeah, I was nope. like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. Dude, it's funny you say that because I, so I left there and Erica pumped me in a, in a private meeting before it pumped me up so much. I go, I'm in. And I never thought about this before, but I, you, you know, you start, like you said, you start putting yourself in like how you looked at the round and I go, they got no, Cuban dudes. I'm bilingual. I am. I'm a lot to your philosophy, Robbie, where I'm not going to belittle my guests. I'm not going to put people down. It's not my style. You know, I respect that's other people saying my thing's a celebration of you. We're going to fuck around. We're going to have a good time and everything. But that, and I felt they didn't have that. I go, this is fucking perfect for me. And she inflated me. It was awesome. And then because so much is happening at Barstow, I had no idea the Trump thing had just happened where they went to the White House, that they had, that she was going after Dion. I didn't know any of that. I'm like, why isn't she returning my text? Why isn't she like, like my DMs like, come on, come on, come on. And finally in, dude, I think it was in November. She goes, listen, I, we can't bring you on right now, but let's stay in contact. You know? And I was like, all right, no, no problem. We'll get you 2021, 2023, 2053. It's coming. Don't worry, dude, that persistence. The father thing, right? Dude, my dad, Robbie, prepared me for everything in life except to deal with him. This dude was fucking me up through baseball in front of everybody pretty much as I was three, four years old, man. In front of my family, in front of in public. Dude just lost his mind and like old school style, like really bad. Alcohol, I think, played a huge part in that. As I was dealing through that, though, this is where me and you went two separate ways. I got this like weird positivity gene, bro, that just came out of nowhere. And I just said to myself, as I was getting the shit beat out of me all the time and living in fear all the time, I go, one day 
I'm going to use this for good. I don't know when, but one day I'm going to use this for good. All this shit that I'm going through, I'm going to help people. And one did it. And it, and it sucks because the screaming is crazy, but the physical part and the, and you can't defend yourself. And then when you're deal with violence, you either become violent or you run away from it. Right. Yeah. You now you've been very, which is, which is why I think the platform and the success you have is so important. You've been very open about your depression, your anxiety, dealing with that stuff, man. I think before you even talk about it with anybody else, you got to talk about it to yourself. What were you telling yourself, Robbie, as you're going through all this? What were you telling yourself, man? When I was growing up and stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. You say you got the positivity gene. I definitely don't feel like I, I ever felt that um, while I was going through it. Yeah, I, it was tough. It was it was a lot of fear. It was a lot of like walking on eggshells, but it was still determined to like be successful, not go down that route. That was like the the main thing. Every time I would watch something go down with my dad, um, it, it like really, really like cemented in my brain as like, never do that. Never do this. Right. Never do that. Like, make sure you take any step in life, whatever you do to just not go down that path. And like, I'm not really a drinker. And I think that probably plays a factor somewhere in it. And I, I'll have a drink here and there. I don't care. But like, I can count on one hand how many times I've been drunk in my life. I'm just not interested in that. I'm much more of a stoner for that reason. Right, right, um, right. But th there's the little things like that. And then there's just, I think it was just still like stay determined, like my whole family um, on that side, like all, like all of the males in my family are stagehands on on broadway and there was something in me that was just like never do that like absolutely never like even go down that profession like do something completely different what's a stagehand what is that it's like uh the people that bring the set on the people that are lifting oh, wires, okay okay okay, okay. Just, just like the the workers i guess the union type workers so um but yeah there was just something in me that was just like fucking go away from that like keep doing what you like do what you love to do. Like, cause that was my thing. Like through all of that, I would lean on not only my friends, not only my family, but like pop culture. And as crazy as it sounds, but like wrestling, star Wars, all of the stuff that basically all the stuff that I have tattooed on my arm, um, right. music, all of the stuff that I really loved, I wound up loving way more because I, I just leaned on it, fighting UFC, like just like watching fights and, and blogging them on Saturday nights because I didn't want to go out with my friends because I had so much shit going on at, and at home in my personal life that I'm sure you know the feeling. You don't want to even talk about it. So you, you know, you're afraid that someone's going to bring up something even slightly related and it's going to make you emotional. So you're like, you know what? Let me just stay home tonight. Let me blog instead. And then I just fell in love with doing that. I was like, this is fun. Like getting my thoughts out there on the internet, getting response from people, yeah. people saying, oh, this is really funny. Like keep doing this. Like this is, this is fun. It feels like an online community. You, you know, you form relationships with like people online. It, it's cool. So it, it was, I guess a mix of all of that. I haven't ever really even thought about that. It's a good question. Dude, it's funny because 20 years ago, Big Fox, I didn't have the internet, bro. So what? Yeah. I, that's why I tell people that the mindset is everything, that the fact that if you're available to talk to yourself in your brain, because I didn't have nobody, and, and nobody really feels sorry for you mm -hmm. because if it's the family thing, everybody's going through it their own way. And what happened to me was, I had huge identity issues, man. If if I saw, because I was just losing 
on a daily basis. So my life sucked. So if I saw anybody that I liked, I would imitate them in this, imitate them in that. I got lucky that I never drank though. I'm just like, yeah, I've never drank alcohol in my life. I've never done drugs. I have nothing against people that do, but I just never did. I've just always been an yeah. extremist. And like, I love that you gravitated towards music and the wrestling and the pop culture. I didn't gravitate towards nothing, man. I just gravitated towards trying to make it. And I became obsessed with trying to make it at something, man. Let's talk Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. There's Star Wars. There's Lord of the Rings. Anything of you, Lord of the Rings, or just Star Wars? Just Star Wars. I, this is like a, a main thing that uh, comes up all the time with like nerds that okay. listen to my mom's basement or whatever. They're like, how do you not like Lord of the Rings? It's the greatest trilogy ever. But there's a great scene in Clerks 2, one of my favorite movies. I'm a big Kevin Smith guy as a New Jersey guy. Yes. And uh, they have this great back and forth about Lord of the Rings versus Star Wars. And this one character, Randall, really encapsulates my feelings in the whole thing. He's like, Lord of the Rings, they're just so boring. There's so much walking in those movies. The whole movies, they walk, they throw the ring in, they walk back. Even the fucking trees walk in those movies. That's how I feel about it. Like, I just watched them. Growing up, I've, I've always been such a nerd, but I was never into... Um, like the Dungeons and Dragons type yeah, yeah, nerdy yeah, stuff. Yeah. I've always been into like the space, Star Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar, right. like anything uh, sci-fi in that way. So even like the Harry Potter movies, I've never, yeah, that, I, think yeah. I've, I think I've seen like one or two of them and I'm not, I have nothing against those ones. I actually think when I watch those one day, I will like them. But uh, yeah, I've just never been into it. And people are always like, you motherfucker, how do you not like <laughs> Lord of the Rings? So let's, let's talk Star Wars. Okay. Favorite Star Wars character it's, i mean that's that's such a tough question that's you know my my brother's firstborn his name's luke and uh he's got a daughter with the middle name ray for that reason i've got luke's lightsaber for him mm -hmm. on my arm but honestly favorite star wars character might have to be han solo he's just the coolest he's the coolest one he you know he shoots greedo in the bar in the beginning he flips the bartender the chain sorry about the mess like how, how do you not want to be that no guy and he's harrison that? ford so exactly he's, he's, the, he's the most g guy out there okay now here's another question robbie fox your favorite harrison ford what character is your life most like See, this is going to, I hope this doesn't come off uh, egotistical, but I'm going to say Luke. I hope Luke. it does. I hope it does. I really I'm going to say Luke because one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars and all of cinema and any movie ever is, the, they call it the binary sunset scene, where Luke walks out and he looks out onto the sunset and he just has that look in his eyes as the Force theme by John Williams builds up. And he just, he's dreaming of joining the Rebellion one day and you know, being a war hero. And it's like, seems way out of reach for a farm boy from Tatooine. Like he, he'll never make it to space. All of his friends are kind of like, no, you're going to be a moisture farmer forever. But he makes it one day. He fires this torpedoes in the Death Star and then he becomes like the friggin' Luke Skywalker. He's a legend. Okay. He probably never could have imagined that stuff. I'm going to say I never could have imagined this stuff. So I'm going to say Luke. So, okay. So I love that answer. So growing up, I, you have such self-identity that you've embraced, whether you wanted to or not. For me, because of the identity issues, my whole life, I wanted to be the guy. So let's say Luke Skywalker is the guy. He's yeah. the guy. But life wouldn't go so good for me 
when I wanted to be the guy. I noticed that life went phenomenally well when I became the guy that prepared the guy. So when I think of Star Wars, because I know who I am in Lord of the Rings world, a thousand percent. Oh, you're are you a Lord of the Rings guy? I'm both. No, I'm super both. Oh, but, I was gonna say I'm sorry if I offended you. No, hell no, Robbie Fox. Rings. Listen, no, 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 no. You listen, you don't listen. This is your hour. You can say whatever the fuck you want, Robbie Fox. This is all you, brother. But what I'm trying to tell you is I I know who I identify in Lord of the Rings of who I am, right? But in this world. I always looked at it and I was like, fuck, man, if I could be Darth Vader, that's so fucking cool, whatever. But that's not me because I'm not a bad guy. Yeah. That's a good thing. So as I look back to me now is the more I try to be Darth Vader, who Darth Vader is like a Lamborghini, Ferrari, sexy, popping off the red lightsaber, right? <laughs> yeah. The more I realize I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi, bro. And let me tell you why Obi-Wan Kenobi to me is so important. Because... Yes, to be Yoda is something in a whole different world that you can't even talk about that in this world, right? But nobody ever references to when Yoda taught you well. It's always Obi-Wan taught you well to Luke Skywalker, right? Yeah. There, and now there's such a deep connection between, listen, the most talented Jedi of all time, other than Padme with what she's got going on with that Emperor thing, I don't, that's a whole different thing. Is uh is Darth Vader? He's the most talented Jedi of all time, right? And his what I I'm Anakin is Anakin Skywalker, right? The metachlorine count is so high that no one's ever seen that kind of metachlorine count before in a human. So that gives him powers, whatever. But the fact that while he's still fighting with Luke. He still mentions Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan. There's a thing of him and Obi-Wan, right? And I look at it as me, and what makes me so excited about Star Wars and especially about the Jedi is think about this religion that you prepare your whole life, that has all these rules, and that there's this thing called the Force that's out there that just gives you these magical powers to believe in anything you want. And a dude that never had anything growing up, to think about that, you'd be like, wow, man, this is crazy. And I didn't have all the other episodes. I just had the classic three, bro. Yeah. Do you think about it that way at all or no? I think about it. It's so funny. I think about Star Wars and life like all the time, like meshed in, into one. Me and my friend that I grew up with, Dom, actually joked about it last week when I was in Abu Dhabi because I was talking to him about the whole Fight Island thing. And I was going through it with the anxiety, with the panic attacks because – being on the other side of the world, my first time going international ever, just it just did me in. But I think about the force, the light side, the dark side with like depression and anxiety all the time. And that's the dark kind of pulling you in. And you got to build up. You got to, you know, fight that. You got to be Jedi about it. You got to kind of just be strong, strong willed. You know, I think about the Jedi in terms of like only using the force for knowledge or defense, they say. And over the past few years, like, I feel like my first few years at Barstool, I was way more inclined to go after people for clicks. I was way more inclined to like hop on radio and get into an argument. I can't tell you the last argument I got into in the workplace, on content, in content, not in content, like, just like, it's not my thing anymore. And I think that's sort of like a Jedi mentality. So I, I try to like stick by that. Like I, I joke to my mom hates when I say this because she's, she's like, you were baptized. Don't say that. But I'm like, star Wars is my religion. 
Oh, yeah. Like that's the closest thing I have to religion. I'm not a religious spiritual person at all. Um, so I mean, star Wars, that's my Bible right there. The Skywalker saga, of course, dude, you, you mentioned something there. That's interesting. The anxiety to deal with stuff and how you sometimes have to, you said your interviews, you have to get high a little bit, or you got to do something to, to, to take whatever edge off, man. I suffer from the complete opposite. I don't have never met you. I've never spoken to you in my life, but there's such a feeling of good that oozes in outside of me. that just comes out of my body that I'm talking to her now. Like if you've been my boy for the last 20 years, <laughs> I love I, that. I enter a room. It has, it has a little bit of defects, but I enter a room and it's like, I've known everybody forever. So there's never any anxiety. There's never anything going on. That's why I lived in a car for six months when I moved to, to Los Angeles. And what I realized there Robbie Fox is that again, man, if you can find a way to talk to yourself, I don't think we talk to ourselves enough to understand that if you're controlling everything you can control, which is why I have effort and attitude back there. If you can control your effort and you can control your attitude, what else can you do? How does a kid who's not popping off go to a, the balls to go to a McGregor hearing and put up a sign and say what you did right when you start thinking about that that's not a popular thing to do but that's what winners do that's how winners get noticed people don't know that civilians don't know that you know that talk to me of how that whole thing came into play did you already have any interaction with him before or was that the first time you said you know what fuck it let's do the sign and let's go out there and let's do this that was the first time for sure. That was so the the closest thing I had come to interaction with Connor before that was he fought Floyd Mayweather. And that was the first fight of his that I got to cover with Barstool. That was like I had gotten into Barstool. It was actually perfect timing. I had just become full time. And in my eyes, you know, there were a lot of MMA fans that were kind of anti that fight. They were like, this is a circus act. Obviously, Floyd's going to beat him. We all knew Floyd was going to beat him, but in my ass, it was like, what better opportunity for me as the new like Barstool MMA guy, as the Conor McGregor fan? Yes. We're going to get so many eyes on this fight. We're going to get so many eyes on the blog, so many eyes on like, I'm going to be able to do the rundown, stuff like that. I'll be able to talk about it. So I was so excited about that. And I got to go to Las Vegas with Dave, Roan, Caleb, and we did Radio Row. And Floyd Mayweather's dad came over to our table and, uh, like mixed it up with us. And I went over shirtless, like dressed as McGregor. He was like, put a shirt on. So I put a 49 and one shirt on. And then he started like shadow boxing, like throwing punches. And I don't even know what came over me in that moment because Hell that yeah. was like, I, I like, so ice cube was sitting on our table at the time with like Michael Rapport ice cube. It was like the most surreal mad libs type scenario, you know? Um, but that was like the closest I had ever. And then like some of the people from McGregor's camp reached out and they were like, bro, that was hysterical. We loved that video. That was the closest I ever came at that point. So the court protest, when I brought the signs and was like, let's protest outside the courthouse, he threw the dolly at Khabib's bus. He had to go to court in Brooklyn over that. And we heard about it like the week before. I don't know how it slipped past me prior to that, but I remember it being a very like thrown together thing. I remember going to the office pretty late ripping uh, cardboard signs off 
and being like, Connor's got a court date tomorrow. Make for a pretty funny video if I went out with these big signs. Because uh, it was actually, I always say it was like a ripoff of uh, the NFL protest. Like Dave and right, right, right. The, the Brady Four got arrested for going outside the NFL thing. So it was totally like taken kind of from that. It was like a classic barstool thing as a fan of classic barstool. That's something that I think benefited me early on too, because kind of knew what like our audience would gravitate towards. So I brought those signs to the courthouse, got a cameraman. I think I had maybe two cameramen with me that day, which I think is like, you know, it's bizarre to have two cameramen on a shoot that tiny. Uh, from the, like, from Barstool to Barstool guys? At that point, like now, now it would be normal. But at that point, looking back, like it's, it's funny that they assigned two cameramen to like this stupid like intern shoot basically um, in my mind. But I, it worked out perfectly because there were no other fans there, which really surprised me. I thought at least like other Conor McGregor fans would maybe right, have right. the idea to show up and, and get a glimpse of them, like be close up. But it was just me. And it was ridiculous because I'm wearing the shirt. I'm, I've got the Irish flag draped over me. And I just started screaming the most ridiculous shit ever. Like, you his know, he didn't, he didn't throw the dolly. Yeah, his stuff, like his quotes, literally. And uh, I think I said, like, I, I, it might have been the second one where I went and I, I like said a ridiculous statement. And I was like, I am now open to media availability. So like, <laughs> I tried to like open myself up to the media. I got quoted in like uh, the New York times saying they should put the, the charges on the bus driver for driving into the dolly <laughs> that Connor threw like the most ridiculous quotes they put in print. It was the perfect scenario. And then the way that I met him was his lawyer walked out of the courthouse and I recognized him from kind of the pictures, Twitter, whatever. Right. I, like, I think that's McGregor's lawyer. And he walked over to me, I guess thought it was funny what I was doing. And he said, uh, he's like, follow us or something. He said something weird where I was like, should we follow this guy? He was, he was like kind of giving yeah. me sketchy vibes where in Brooklyn, I'm like, I don't know. Should we follow this guy? They're like, all right, screw it. I got two cameramen with me. So right. worst case scenario, we're following him into a sketchy situation and we got it on camera. So it'll be funny. Uh, and it was not a sketchy situation. He, we followed him to the bail bonds place that McGregor had to go to afterwards. And he walked right out. He said, Hey to me, took a picture with me. And then after that, the, the only interaction since the fight Island stuff was he like pointed me out and there was like a clip yes, that yes, we loved yes, on Twitter yes. where he was like, Hey, what's up, Robbie. And that was like, you know, everyone went crazy over it. That was like such a cool moment, but that was like kind of funny. Like those are the only two brief 30 second and then like two second interactions I've ever had with the guy. Robbie, what does he say? You don't fucking what? It don't fucking matter. What is it? He says something like that, no? Uh, uh, who the fuck is that guy? Who the fuck is that guy? Yeah, but you don't fuck. There's another fucking one that you were saying, dude, that I'm trying to remember. That was awesome. You'll do nothing. Maybe you'll, you'll do, do nothing. nothing. That was it. You'll do nothing. <laughs> so, dude, I thought it was a restaurant, but it was a bails bond place that he went into. Yeah. After that, Robbie. Had the Dana White thing happened yet or no? No, no, not at all. That, I mean, at that point, like, so funny looking back uh, at some of those videos because so many people, like, didn't even realize I was an MMA fan or they didn't even realize, like, I knew more than Connor. Like, they thought it was either they realized I was, I won't say playing a character, but obviously that's not, like, who I am uh, in person. You, you ramp it up to 11, they say, as they say. But definitely like people either thought that or they were like this this guy is a true lunatic who thinks that like but, Conor but Robbie, is... you have to do that to get noticed man because if yeah. we're normal and we're there and here we're like oh look there's Conor McGregor all right Conor McGregor 
Kobe not guilty. Yes, that's not, not, yeah, that's not a funny video. about that. But you have a dude there fucking go do nothing. You know, that shit's crazy. The Dana White thing is interesting because few people know, unless you're in the media or you talk to him, how nice that motherfucker is. Oh, the best. Yeah. Robbie, my trajectory is look how crazy this is. So I'm from Cuba. Cuba, Spain, Miami, grew up in Miami, failed miserably in baseball. I go, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to be an actor. I was six years in Los Angeles. Failed miserably in Los Angeles as an actor, except I became a celebrity baseball coach and baseballs followed me every fucking where. So I did that for six years and I go, you know what? The I my character and my thing, I'm gonna move to a little town called Las Vegas. And Robbie Fox, I lived in Las Vegas for four years. I became probably the most powerful nightclub personality that wasn't an owner of a nightclub in four-year run. I was the Director of customer development for a club called Hyde and the Bellagio. Okay, and I, yeah. and I lived at the Aria for four years. So I love the Aria. The Aria is the best, dude. You have no yeah. idea. You have the no Aria idea. is amazing. <laughs> you have no idea, dude. You have no idea. So I lived there. One of my servers, her name's Amber Nicole. Amber Nicole is currently Tito Ortiz's wife. Oh, there you go. Okay. This this poor this chick, man, I feel so bad for her. We literally, she was probably 32, 33 in the time, in her low 30s or mid-30s. And Amber was, I mean, George Clooney after her. I mean, everybody was after Amber. And we would just grab her for our tables, and I, we'd put her there, and she would just get paid to drink with people and to get spenders to spend money. And this girl would be annihilated by the end of the night, bro. She'd just be like trash because this poor girl, imagine drinking she's in shape she's not this so it's like the the, the the alcohol which is driving her crazy and it was just like out of control but one night she brought dana in and i hosted him and when when we we brought him in this dude sat there not creeper at all he got like a four thousand dollar table robbie when i tell you his bill was forty five hundred he he tipped the servers 20 g's wow that's how nice that dude is man when we when he walked in he parked his bentley probably like seven people there's not a camera around dana can we get a picture but he got a picture with every single one of them like the dude is a beast man like well, you want to hear this about dana you know we got the barstool fun going on and everything right now yeah dana i texted dave a video that dana put up where dana called out like some media that he hated and i said to dave like oh you should do a video like this calling out people that you want to donate to the barstool fund that would be maybe a good one because Dave was calling people out in the beginning. And uh, Dave said, how about you just call out Dana White? I'm like, oh, geez, he put me on the spot here with Dana. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So I said, screw it. I'll do it. And I tweeted like at Dana White, like, uh, hey, I'm not rich, but I do have a rich uncle. Is there anything you well, can do? Dude, they hold on a if, dude, it caught out. We're going to go all the way back because it caught out. Okay, so you're going to tell me the Dana White story. Take it from the beginning. So Dana White with the Barstool Fund, we got the Barstool Fund going on right now and everything. I text Dave a video that Dana White had put up calling out the media members that like he doesn't like, basically. And I said, you should do a video calling out the people that you want to donate to the Barstool Fund, because that's how it kind of started was Dave calling out like his rich friends. Uh, and Dave said, how about you just call out Dana White? I'm like, oh, geez, he put me Here on the spot. Go. Go. <laughs> between the two rich people that I know now, of course. I'm like, Jesus, bro. I got, I'm in this shoebox apartment, and now these two millionaires are telling me to call each other out. Okay. I 
compose a little tweet where I'm like, hey, I, I don't have a ton of money, but I do have a rich uncle because I always call Dana White Uncle Dana. Uh, like, it, what can you put up, Dana? He responds immediately and he says, I love the Barstool Fund. I'm in. What do you want? And I was like, I'm not going to tell you what I want, whatever you want to give us. Like, this is a charity thing, Dana. And he said, all right, put me in touch with Dave. I talked to Dave. Dana apparently called him immediately, said, I love the fund. Great stuff, what you're doing. How much money do you want? You want 25, 50, 100? Or, or Dave said, I don't know, 25, 50, 100. And Dana said, 100, done deal. 100 on the spot like that from a tweet. So that's like Dana White. And the other thing that Dana, Dana I feel like, treats people how they treat him. I feel like if you develop a good relationship with him, he'll treat you very well. I think where a lot of media makes the mistake is they they understand that the the journalistic role is you got to ask him the tough questions. And I'm not saying they should ever shy away from that because that's not what I'm trying to do. I, you know, I'm, I always say my interviews are more like a late night show than anything. It's a like comedy oriented, friendly stuff like that. But if they just didn't do it on maybe their first interview, their first two interviews with him, where they build a rapport a little bit, I think I think his relationship with the media would be better. He's he's one of those guys that people always talk about how bad his relationship with the media is. I think it's because so many of them go to get the gotcha because on, they're haters. On the first one because of the second they're one. haters. Like, and it's like if you if you watch my last interview with him as well, I gave him a lot of pushback on the Khabib thing. But at this point, he knows that like I'm not trying to do it for any other reason yeah. than it, it's actually what I feel, you know. Yeah, dude. No, no, you're absolutely right. And come on, you were so lucky and, and you didn't pick this. It, it, it just worked that way. There's nothing like covering the fucking UFC. You got, you don't have to deal with a team setting. You don't have to oh, yeah. deal with, uh, it's one-on-one -on -one. the fucking Dana's so ahead of his time with what he did. The fact that he's on social media 24 seven, the fact that he's authentic, the fact that he fucking says what he says the fact that he started those vlogs way back when, when nobody was vlogging anything and he's yeah. doing the embeddeds and all that stuff. That's so ahead of the time, man. I'm stuck in because the universe and the man upstairs has me stuck in baseball world for some reason. Baseball is totally different. In baseball and MLB, we're talking MLB now. These guys, unless you're Trevor Bauer now that's doing this like thing, which is phenomenal. They don't want to talk. They don't want to open up. They don't want to see anything because the only thing they could do is lose from that. Yeah. They're making so much money. And the guys that are coming up are like worried. So it's like, listen, let me get paid. Let me chill out. And the problem is the sport's losing because of that. Because the problem is the young kids want access to everything. The yeah. business people are like, no, 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 no. And then the players are like, listen, dude, I'm going to get paid and I'm not going to do anything. So that's why I love, man, that you're that you're doing UFC stuff because that's another way for you to shine the way you're shining. Robbie, do you think about that at all? Like how the UFC kind of aligns perfectly with what I'm with trying you. to do? Yeah, with you. Yeah, all the time because that was my original pitch to Barstool. Like all of the emails that I was sending initially when I was, you know, from ages 13 to 18, whatever – um, we're very much like you guys don't have anyone talking about the UFC. It's something that I'm very passionate about. I love watching fights. I love martial arts. I love everything about it because I grew up a wrestling fan. So my introduction to the UFC was when Brock Lesnar made his debut. I was like, well, a guy from, you know, fake wrestling is going to really go fight. I got to see right. what this is going to be all about. 
ever since then, I've been all about it. I just thought it was so cool. You know, you have the rise of Conor McGregor when I was in high school and I went to high school with so many uh, Brazilians that were such big Jose Aldo fans. So we would always talk Ooh, shit back and awesome. forth. Oh my God, it was, it was so much fun. Like just the the build, it felt like it was like building up for all of us, the, the speculation on the weigh-ins, all of it. So I just fell in love with the sport and I was always like, you guys don't have anyone that covers it. I think I would be a great guy to do it. I think in the beginning it worked out so perfectly too, because when people didn't really know like much about me, who I was, they were just like, this is the MMA guy. Like this scrawny nerd with the fucking star Wars belt and the star Wars shirts every day is the M and it like caught people's eye in a weird way. And now I've gotten to the point where I've done enough like interviews with Dana or whatever that people understand. Like, yeah, I'm just a massive fan of it and stuff. I'm not ever trying to act like I'm, you know, the next heavyweight champ over here. But I think it was like perfect in that way too, because people initially were just like, "Wait, what?" Robbie, <laughs> the fact you went like this. Let me ask you a question: How crazy would it be if you just get jacked? Well, no, I, I tried. It's tough. I, I I trained to be like a pro wrestler. I know you tried to be a wrestler, no, no, but if let's say we get you some testosterone action going, we get you going. I would love good. that. I, I would do. I would do all the steroids. Give me those baseball steroids, bro. bro you know what I would do. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you do, a, especially with the area you're at, bro, that's like juice world out there. I would come and listen. Jersey? Are you kidding me? New, New, New York, New Jersey? Come on, dude. That's like the steroid capital of the world. You crazy? Come on, man. That in Miami. You're asking, like, I know it's steroid capital of the world. This guy? Like, no, come on, come on. That in Miami. Dude, I would literally... If you would get just fucking shredded, bro, Jack, dude. Bro, I don't know about Jack. I would love just like maybe you would. a couple pounds because recently I was uh, – so my aunt designs like all my tattoos. She's a very good artist. And I'm going to get one on the back of my arm, and she said, just do me a favor. Like measure the back. Show me what we're working with. Doing that, man, my man, that was demoralizing. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, we got like an inch to work with back there, Andy. <laughs> Let's talk tattoos, bro. I – I got my first tattoo at 30. Okay. I, I didn't have any. And I'm an extremist. I had to do nothing of something or something or a lot of it. And now fully sleeve, both of them. Oh, yeah. I, I don't have I don't have uh any color because at least my skin tone. I think the white boys do better with the colors. And I think Definitely. the, the land artists tell me that all every time I get a tattoo, the tattoo artist is like, You're so lucky, you're pale. This this color pops like crazy. I'm like, yeah. it's the only thing that being pale gives you any luck for no has a lot a, a little a little stuff too little stuff too there i i thought of tattoos like man there's nothing like being successful and having tattoos because it 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 shows the fuck you to the world and it's like listen dude it it sucks to be not successful and have tattoos because you feel like a loser like oh my god but when you're successful it is the best man let's talk tattoos for a second what what first of all the lightsaber of Luke? What color is it on you? It's blue. This is uh, I, I figured get the one from all three trilogies. This is the one that kind of spans, you know, gets passed out from Anakin to Luke to Ray, and it's in my favorite lightsaber battle, which is Empire Strikes Back. And you didn't go green because because of that? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Let's talk tattoos. Are you gonna get fully sleeved both arms? Yeah. I think, uh, man, I think in 10 years I might look like Travis Parker or something. Yeah. I love a great dude. I won't, I won't do, I'll never do, uh, I'll never do throat. That just, I, that I know the pain of tattoos. I'm a pussy about it. So I would never do throat. Maybe, You're going to do like sides? Maybe, maybe the back. Probably, nah. 
I don't know. Probably a leg guy. I think probably above neck, I, I wouldn't do. I'd never do the face tattoos. I'm not one of those guys, trust me. That that That's a move. So, okay, so let's get this right. So you're not neck, you're not going to do neck. You're not thinking neck. I don't think so. I think probably everything here and below will be covered at some point. I'm not a big leg guy, bro. You a leg tattoo guy? I... Yeah, I, I like, uh, I mean, I can never do the uh, Polynesian leg tattoos that some of the UFC guys have, but I think those look dope. I think I'll have leg sleeves one day. Yeah. All right, all right. What about the back? You gonna do the back too or no? Yeah, yeah, gotta. I, I don't know what I'll do back there because the back is important. Back portraits, man. Sometimes those look rough. Like a lot of times, those look it's rough. It's hard, dude. It's and you, and, so you gotta be careful picking. And something you gotta back. cover so much real estate, and people don't understand yeah. how much the fucking sides hurt and like right here in the arms that hurts like crazy. I got the pit. Yeah, yeah. That situation is a uh, is crazy, dude. I've been looking enough, Robbie, to have on the show. I've had on directors and I've had on wrestlers, right? Last wrestler I had was, uh, here's a fucking funny story, by the way. This is, you're going to like this one. There's a guy named Heath. Heath Slater? Heath Slater. Perfect yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm here and my, my fucking cousin, who's a hustler, starts using my show thing. And he's like, bro. I'm going to start getting you different kinds of guests. I'm like, okay. So he preps, he, he preps me and he goes, okay, here's this dude, same name. He's later. But the guy who he gives me is an Australian actor who has, who's literally like one, 120 pounds soaking away like this, like guy who was a teen guy from the nineties, like the craziest shit ever. So here comes Heath pops up and brother, I live off being authentic and being original. I don't give a fuck. And you got and, and and everything since it comes from a positive place, I'm honest. And if you hate on that, then that's on you, brother. Because I I'm not perfect. So when I go there, I go. I hear his accent. I go. Hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, bro. Aren't you Australian? And he goes, I'm Australian. I'm from West Virginia. <laughs> I go. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, bro. Here I have that you're an actor from Australia, bro. He's like, no, no, man, I, I'm a wrestler from West Virginia. I'm like, holy shit. He's, I was expecting you to come on and go, Crikey, where's the bingo? You know, dude, and he just lost it laughing, like really lost it laughing. Have you ever heard of that like actor before? Completely like nothing, he had no idea. Nothing, whatever. Super, super, super cool dude. Super, uh, just great guy, great guy, man. And he just took it, whatever. And then I had on who's great too, um, DDP. Oh yeah, of course. So I've done the DDP yoga before. I've got a really bad back, and that's actually been pretty good for me. Have you had him on? Oh yeah, we've had him on Barstool a few times. He's, yeah. he's actually come on radio, and like, uh, it's so funny. He came on radio, and we gave him like a gift bag as he left, I think. And he wore that Barstool hat for like two years. We would just see on Instagram all the time. We're like DDP wearing a Barstool hat, still unreal. That is awesome, dude. That is awesome. So to get both parts of your personality, man. It's just so interesting, Robbie. Do you do you feel that now, man, as you look at your future? Because I also think I'm like, man, is Robbie going to move to Las Vegas? Because that's a big play for you, brother. That right there would be would be interesting. Have you ever thought about that? No, I don't think I can move to Vegas. It's not it's it's not for me. I've I've gone so many times, and I've got family that lives out there. So I actually had been to Las Vegas a bunch before I had ever covered fights. I can't do the heat. 
I can't do the, uh, you know, they say it's the dry heat. It's just not for me. I can't do the noise, even away from the strip. I know it's, you could get away from the strip. Where does the your noise, family but... live? Where does your family live in Vegas? Um, I actually don't know the, like, I couldn't tell you the. How far from the strip? Do you know, remember? 20 minutes from the strip, maybe. In like, uh, one, it's not like a gated community almost. Because there's, like, there's, there's Henderson, there's Henderson, Summerlin. And then there's a. Where where this guy lives, South Point. It might be South Point. Southern Highlands, also. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I I've got like some aunts and uncles that live out there. So it's all weather related, nothing to do with MMA. Oh, like I I love MMA. I just don't. Yeah, I I can't see myself ever ever moving west either. Just moving away from family seems weird to me. Like That's just personally, I'm such a family guy. Really. Yeah. Being a family guy, Robbie Fox, do you ever think of having kids? Oh, of course, yeah. You want kids? Yeah. How many? Do you think about number wise or anything like that or no? Yeah, not that specifically. I mean, growing up, like I have a brother and a sister, so you think of having three, but like that seems like a fucking lot. <laughs> okay. Dude, so I got I got lucky, brother. I got married at 37. Which is my a favorite great, number. Which is a great age to get married as a dude. Because I was single for a long time, six years in Las Vegas. I'm six years in LA, four in Vegas. Then I came here and you could really approach a marriage the right way. I've I've said probably to every guest that I've had on here that I wish they could eliminate in high school 75% of the maths. Get rid of, don't even talk to me about fucking algebra, bro. Get rid of algebra and pre-algebra. Language, man. That's two years. Listen, that's that's two years right there, right? So fuck those two algebras. I get rid of trigonometry, whatever. Unless you think you're gonna become something it's gonna deal with that, of then course. it makes sense. Yeah, right? yeah. And <clears throat> I would replace that with these courses. I want to get your opinion on this. How to be vulnerable as a man, how to build relationships, and how to deal with failure. If we can I get mean, those I, three, I like those three, yeah. If we could get those three, man, how do you deal with failure? It's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. I think with more, I think with, I, I like, I come back with more determination. I almost set it. I almost set goals for myself to like defeat the failure that I had already beat me. Like the first thing that comes to mind when you say that, for example, I went through a time at Barstool for months where I could not do interviews. I could not do radio. I could not do anything that would involve me to be on camera, anything that wasn't sitting down writing a blog, like where I could be covered, where I could be safe, protected. My anxiety just got so bad and, and grew to the point where that's how I felt. And even uh, something as simple as, you know, going to the store would give me a panic attack, like on a Saturday where I had nothing to do. We'd go to the store to buy a Pepsi and I would get a panic attack, which is a crazy place to be. And you feel like you're in like a prison in your own mind. It eventually got to the point where I was like, this is crazy. Barstool, like, can I, can I not do my job at Barstool? Um, I felt, you know, like a failure because like I was watching all my coworkers do these amazing things, get these amazing opportunities. I was turning down amazing opportunities because of this. I was getting the opportunity to interview some of my favorite fighters of saying no and making up excuses because I was afraid I was going to like throw up in the interview. So I eventually got to the point where like, this is crazy. My family was like, this is crazy. You got to like take some time off from work and figure this out. I, so I did that. I called Dave, called Erica, 
I was like, I got to take some time off. I got to see what's what. So that was uh, like two weeks before Christmas uh, of 2018, I believe, maybe 2019. I think it was 2018. Um, I took that week before Christmas off and then we had Christmas break or whatever. And when I came back, I got myself right, went to some psychiatrist, went to some therapist, got back on medication for anxiety and stuff. Felt good. When I came back, I was so, so, so determined to like right all the wrongs. And I was like, I reached out to, um, you know, Barstool's talent booker. And I said, here are some interview requests. My first interview requests were all the ones I said no to in the past. And I was like, I'm going to tackle this. And yeah, it might've like beat me a few months ago. I want to come back and beat the exact same thing that beat me. Like, give me the, give me a rematch if you want fighting terms, you know? Um, and I think it was just very much like even uh, in Abu Dhabi this past week, I felt so crappy or two weeks ago, whatever, just based on the way anxiety and panic makes me feel when I travel. Always. It feels it just makes me get get all in my own head about it. What do you. OK, let me ask you. When you're in your head about it, what is because I try to put myself in your situation when I travel, what hits my head is conquering new opportunities. I just see everything positive what do you see that had you in that mood i see see i i've always seen a lot of negative like it's mostly traveling for work if i travel uh if i go to see my girlfriend it's okay if it's for work i think okay i'm spending company money now how much money am i spending on the flight on the expenses are they going to get my expense report and they're going to say this is a lot of money are they going to look at my salary and say this is how much we pay him this is how much he spent crazy man. are they going to say uh well he didn't bring in this much are they going to look at the ad deals that i bring in and compare it to the, my expenses on this trip what if i lose something on this trip what if they feel like i didn't get enough content on this trip to make it worth it and i don't get another trip approved in the future what if that gets put in the site it's like Bro, it is a cycle. It feels like in Star Wars when they shoot a bullet and it ricochets off of the wall 10 billion times. Yes. It feels like those negative thoughts are just in your head going you know, back and forth and back and forth. And that's where I find, and this definitely isn't for everyone, but that's for me where weed comes into play because right. that's what my mind feels like a lot. And sometimes when I smoke or when I take like an edible or something, I'll, I'll feel like everything slows down for a bit. And I could kind of dissect each thought and go, all right, that's crazy. All right, that's irrational. All right, that would never happen. Like when I travel, I think I'm going to come back. They're going to say that trip wasn't worth it. We spent this much money on it. We're going to fire you. And I'll that's say that to crazy, some of the people man. I work with. And they're like, bro, you, like that's that's not the position you're in at all. You like, you think you're on the verge of like my brain was telling me while I was on Fight Island, you're on the verge of getting fired. Like that's I'm, and I, I know how irrational like I'm smart enough to know how irrational yeah. that is. But that's that's the only thing that my brain could tell me while I was there. So I, I looked at that, but then I took it and I spun it into, I need to make the most out of this. So I, I know in my brain without a shadow of a doubt, this is worth it. So you spin it into, all right, give me the shit that's you know making me worried. Immediately, you request an interview with Dana White. You say, Dana, can you give me a few minutes? And you know after that. All right, if I get that, at least in my own brain, I could rationalize and say this trip was worth it because I got some time with Dana, which is a cool thing. And so I've always like, and maybe it's maybe a psychiatrist would say it's not healthy to uh, just take your anxiety and turn it into like more work. But like 
Doing that stuff like helps me though. It does. It really does. Robbie, I do the same thing. I do the same thing with death, man. I'm like, I go to myself, anything that I swear, dude, I got two kids that are, that are, I got a five month year old and I got a two year old girl. I got the hottest woman I can get in my life. I've been with her for six years, brother. If I die today, I'm God as the happiest guy in the world. If I lose my arm after this interview, my leg, okay, I'm going to be like, watch now how I'm going to crush it with one leg. If I become blind, I'm going to watch. And, and, and I live for that because I felt like I've done so much in my life already that all I might as left is to motivate Robbie Fox. And if I get Robbie Fox, I'm going to motivate Robbie Fox's cousin. And this and that. So it's like I just see the reverse, man. And because I put it in my head that the only two things I can control is my effort and my attitude. So if you're on the plane and you start with this crazy accounting stuff and all stuff, you go, wait a minute, which is what you're good at, bro. You're not a piece of shit human being. So that means you're not going to go to Abu Dhabi and fuck around. You're going to go there and do what you got to do. You know that already. You could tell because you've already lived enough at 22, which makes you so powerful. Because if what you're doing at 22 and you understand that there's going to be certain setbacks, and if you just stay the course of what you're doing, brother, when you're 42, you're going to be an absolute fucking legend, man. And you're going to have so many people with already what you established at 22 is insane. And that's why I think we got to keep a guy like you in just the right way. Because society, especially 2021, wherever we're at, needs a dude like you, bro. Just winning 24-7, just winning. And when you lose at something, it ain't really a loss. Because if you go there and you try to get Dana, but he's too, he's with the Nelk boys 24-7, and then <laughs> and then you get McGregor, but he you can't control that, bro. And people know you're working. And the good thing about you is you've always been honest and you've built an extremely hard working reputation behind you, brother. So as long as you understand that, which you do, that's it, man. That's it. It's tough. It's crazy. I mean, the there were so many factors too in in this trip that particularly made that the irrational thoughts worse. And that like, I went from being an everyday weed smoker to going to Abu Dhabi where that, you know, you have the smallest amount on you and you're getting four years in prison. So I did not even think about risking it. I was in isolation in a room with very bad internet service, a TV that had eight, eight channels, none of them in English. And uh, I was up at like a night here. So I had no one to talk to. So I was just sitting like on a bed alone. When you factor in so many different things, That's it true. can make the irrational stuff like no. creep in. And it, it's, it, it was tough, but you know what? Like getting through that, every time you get through something like that, it does make the next time easier. And it, it gives you the experience of being like, all right, well, like I did it that time. And if that happens to me, if I feel that way, the next time I travel to what, Las Vegas, I'm gonna go, well, I made it through Abu Dhabi. I think I can make it through Las Vegas, like whatever. Hell yeah. Talk to me about the first time talking to Connor one-on-one. -on -one. I think the kids were there and all that vibe. <laughs> How was that? Did I, I rarely get nervous, bro. I found myself just because of the excitement of it when. That's like fascinating to me. You say like you wanted to put yourself in my shoes. Like you're saying I rarely get nervous. I would love to live in your brain for a day and just see, because I get nervous about everything. Everything, no, like you know the, the, the smallest decisions, I get no, I so don't, nervous. I, I don't at, everything. at all because I have, because again, 
I have nothing to lose. I've never had anything to lose my whole life. So like, like let me I, ask you this baseball player, because I, I grew up playing baseball. Did you not get anxiety stepping up to the plate? Did like that never gave you crazy anxiety? Robbie Fox, how about forget about crazy anxiety, bro? How about stepping up to the plate knowing that if you don't produce the amount of punches you were gonna take to your face, to your body, to scream? How about knowing that your worst nightmare was gonna come true? About two, about two hours after the game, if I didn't perform, man, you're talking about performing in the hardest game to perform in life, dude, where you fail seven, we fail out of seven times, you fail 10 times, you fail seven and you're a multimillionaire, dude. I had to deal with that every single day of my life. So like I went through pretty much, remember in 300, I think they call it the agogi or something. Yeah. I went through that. So right now it's like, I can, I sit here. And I go, I can do whatever I want. Like, I literally sit here and go, whatever I want to do, even at 42, even with kids, whatever, I could do whatever I want. I could get Robbie Fox on the show. I'm going to get Robbie Fox on the show. Robbie Fox doesn't pay attention to me. I'm going to get this guy. But I'll, I'll get Robbie Fox at one point because, and that's how I view everything, man, in everything I do. But I was what I was telling you is when I'm with Erica in New York, I had seen myself in barstool so fitting in because i go they don't have a bilingual person i'm gonna come in i'm gonna bring in reggaeton guys i'm gonna fuck around everywhere. i'm gonna bring my miami vibe into it whether it's miami new york whatever this is fucking perfect like i go i'm in i i know it that when i was talking to her and this would happen to me in base baseball my mouth started to get dry and there's nothing more forget about hitting a baseball bro when you're trying to act and you're in an audition and you get one fucking audition a year and you're sitting there and you're reading and all of a sudden one of the producers happens to be famous because they're known and you're talking and you get that caught in mouth, you can't fix that, man. You can't fix that. But what I do know is, and this is something that, I'll never forget, this is a good story. This is something Larry King taught me. Larry King was... His real name is Larry Zeiger. And when he became, just like you real young, the radio business, you were either super young or super old. There was no in between, Robbie. And this <laughs> dude was in Miami, and he's like, fuck, man, I, I, I want to get into the business. And a lot like you, and I want to get to your baseball stuff later, but you always saw yourself as you go, look, man, I'm not going to be the person, but I'm going to be the person around the event. Larry was the same way. He would, he says, I'm never going to be a baseball player. He didn't see the talent physically, but he would mimic calling games at Ebbets Field. These are Brooklyn Dodger guys in Brooklyn. So he would pretend that he was like an announcer. Before it was kind of cool to be an announcer. He would do that, yeah. whatever. So he comes, and I've never forgotten this, bro. And he finally gets his spot, Robbie, to be on the show, to be, to be a voice on air. He's like 19 years old, 20, super, super, super young. And before... The, the GM goes, okay, you're going to come in. You can't be fucking Larry Zeiger. It's too Jewish. It's, that's not going to work. We got to think of a name. They open the yellow pages. And he starts looking, looking, and there's a big ad for King's Liquor. And the guy goes, that's it. You're going to be Larry King. She's like, all right, I'm going to be Larry King. That was Friday. All weekend, Robbie, this dude was preparing for his show that he was starting on Monday. First show starting on Monday. Everybody's on there. He goes, I had my music prepared. I had all this thing. I was ready to fucking roll. 
I get the light action. He puts his music. When he starts to talk, nothing comes out. He's like, Ugh. takes it off. Music again, nothing. Does it three times. At the fourth one, Robbie, the GM, breaks the door in and goes, you're paid to communicate. Communicate. <laughs> and he goes, HP, I said something that I've kept this my whole life. My whole life. I said, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Larry King, a name that I just got two days ago. I'm extremely nervous. I'm super excited. And I've never done this before. But bear with me. I'm going to get better and I'm going to get better. And I promise you, if you stick with me, you're going to see my improvement and this thing's going to start flowing a lot better. But today, I'm brand new. And what that teaches, what that taught me, Robbie Fox, was that if I set the tone, you can't hate on me because we've all yeah. been new at something. Yeah. And that's when I, and I just remember that vividly because I hadn't been nervous like that in a while. But for some reason, when I had her there and it was stakes for me for so high that it got me. But she's fucking super cool. She's like, you want some water? And I'm drinking water like crazy, trying to chill out. So that was my little my little moment there, bro. Talk to me, Conor McGregor, man. Dude, I love that Larry King story because, and especially because for me, like I've had moments in interviews where I feel like I'm having anxiety and panic. And I, I just say it because it makes me feel better about it. Like if, if like I just put it out on front street, I'm like, dude, I'm being honest with you right now. Like I'm having a panic attack. This is pretty crazy for me. And then they're usually like, oh, what? That's like great. And then it kind of lessens it, kind of makes it like normal. But yeah, I mean, for Connor, like I didn't really, uh, I didn't really have time to get anxiety. It's like a weird thing to say, but I thought I was going back to interview Dana. Like I've, that's the interview I was going back stage for. And on my way back, the PR person that was leading me through was like, hey, Connor just agreed to do an interview with you. Like if you could do it right now. And I was like, uh, okay, so the the green hoodie you see me wearing in the interview, I had in my bag, and I was like, I have a green hoodie in my bag. I, like, can I throw that on? I wanted to like wear something like, I don't know, Irish, like patriotic, yeah, 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 sort of, sort of to like show him. Like, as soon as I walk in, like, bro, you're not dealing with someone trying to be like an unbiased like journalist right here. I'm, I'm a Conor McGregor fan. I want to do a fan interview right now. Like, make him almost more comfortable. And uh, I always try to lead my interviews off with questions that like make people comfortable. So I, I said immediately, like, are you afraid like your kid's going to take some of the shine off you? Oh, like, that right was away. a good one, dude. You know I remember I mean? like, that's really good. Yeah. Cause he like, looked at you. Cause, it, cause that's why when first, I, yeah, he was kinda like, what, because what that's why when I started, I go, you're Roberto Fox. Cause I want to let people know, listen, bro, this isn't another bullshit podcast. You're like, all right, fuck. Like, I want to, I want to. <laughs> To be special. And I noticed that. And I had it here on my notes to remind you that I love that you did that. You're like, okay, are you scared that Connor Jr. is going to take And he's like, oh, you yeah. brought him back, dude. Yeah, like I I feel like that's like a, a good tactic. I don't know who I learned that from. I definitely stole it from someone. But like I've started a few Dana White interviews by just like referencing bands we both like. Be like, oh, you see like Rage Against the Machines doing this? And he's like, oh, definitely. And then we just – it makes him more comfortable. So like I tried to do that with him. And it was so sudden, so quick. She literally, from the time the PR lady um, said, hey, like, can you do the Conor McGregor interview to us starting? It was probably a minute, minute, 30 seconds. So 
by the time I got my tripod set up, I threw my phone on it. It was the most like, like you said, like the kids were there. You, they, you hear them in the background. They're grabbing my camera. It was the most barstool setup of all time in the way that it was just a shit show. But I wouldn't have it any other way because it was just like so crazy how that all went down. Dude, that's awesome, bro. A couple more questions, Robert. I could talk to you all day, bro. A couple more questions. Favorite type of music? Rock and roll. I definitely just like rock and roll of all time. Like Beatles, uh, Oasis, Foo Fighters. I love pop punk. I'm a big pop punk guy. Like that's I don't know like what I don't know what pop punk is, so I want to get to that. But before we get to that, if you could listen to one person, one song, you gotta give it to me. Who are you listening to? One song or one artist? One artist and their favorite song. Favorite artist, favorite song of that artist. That's so tough. See, my favorite, like, all right, favorite artist, and if I could listen to one artist for the rest of my life is different, with different answers for that. Okay. Favorite artist is All Time Low. That's a band that I grew up listening to. They're a pop punk band, which we can get to. I have okay. their logo tattooed, this little skull and crossbones on my arm. That's All Time Low's logo. If I could listen to one artist for the rest of my life, it would have to be the Beatles. I'm a huge, like, over-the-top Beatles fan. And then one song... I'm going to go with uh, – did I just cut out for a second? Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I could – One song, I'm going to go with Sweet Child of Mine, Guns N' Roses, maybe the greatest guitar solo ever put to record. That's that's not bad, Robbie. If I, hold on. You froze there. Hold on. Hold on. You see me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me there? Are we back? Are we back? Can you hear me? Are we back? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I think it's super delayed now. All right, hold on, hold on. We might have to on. wait for it to come back. Hold on. Oh, wait, second. I think I got you. You got me? Let me, let me clear some. I stuff think so. Up. You got me? Let me know. I think so. I could hear you. All right. I like "Sweet Child of Mine." That's that. That intro is uh is amazing, dude. I think that's a. Uh, I think that's a strong move, man. I uh, pop, pop is it pop punk? So <laughs> it's it's confusing. Pop punk is the genre. Okay, it's, it's short for popular punk. Our band, which is basically a parody of the genre, is called pop punk because our boss Dave, when he tries to say popcorn, he says popcorn. It's just like his accent. So we kind of just like name the band pop punk as a joke about how like our boss does not know how to say words. Um, but pop punk is basically the like Blink One Eighty Two style of music. Okay, Jimmy Eat World, the middle, that kind of like early two thousands angsty teens hating their parents. In, in in ridiculous over the top ways, um, that like that whole genre of music, my man, Robbie. I I think you're. Uh, I think you're, and I've always thought it's the first time I saw you. First time you really popped into my thing was when I saw you at the UFC office, and I like how you went at Dana. I like how you talked to him. I like you like oh that slinging big dick thing. I like how that whole. <laughs> Big thing and how you did that really, really set you apart, man. I think I know, bro, and I know this game. I predicted a lot of people that are extremely successful, bro. That the only person that could hurt Robbie Fox is Robbie Fox, man. I really think you got a real special, special, special. Like you haven't even started to where your potential's at, dude. And the fact you're a great dude is 
amazing, man. Before I let you go, any questions for me, man? Anything I can help you with? Oh, man, that's a good one. I mean, you, I do have a question for you that I was thinking about before, and I assume I know the answer to this one, actually. You didn't grow up with older siblings, did you? I grew up with an older sister who's two years older than me. Okay, two two years is such a like short gap because when we were talking and you were saying um, you, the identity issues, you were talking about how you, you would idolize people here and there. Like I never went through that because I had an older brother 12 years older than me and an older sister nine years older than me, and they were the ones that I idolized always. They were like the set, second set of parents. So as you were saying that, I was actually thinking like, man, like I wonder what your life would have been like if you had an older brother 10 years older than you. No, Robbie, what if, what if I liked my dad? That's, 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 it I should. Mean, I mean, well, there's another one as well. That's yeah. the one that should have been. It should have been my dad because I look at it now with my son and I go, oh my God, if this motherfucker and me are the same, it's like, did we just become best friends? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And, 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 and that's what me and my brother were when, when we didn't have is. my dad. Yeah, so me like, and my dad are completely reversed. Same here. So, like, yeah. having that person I could look up to, like, if you saw a picture of my brother, you'd be like, oh, that's that's where Robbie Fox comes from. That's He's got the cool. colorful tattoos all over his arms. He's a rock and roll drummer. Like, it's it's like, oh, well, that all adds up now. Yeah. And even looking and, and with my dad. I have comp I have empathy for everybody, man. I believe everything that happens bad to me, I'm to blame for everything except abuse as a kid. That you can't. That's not. That's none of our faults. My dad, youngest of fifteen, his dad died when he wow. was eight years old. To leave Cuba to come to the United States, new language, new stuff, you know. But we're completely different. My dad worked for Pepsi Cola for thirty years. Oh, wow. Blue collar guy carrying the fucking pepsi things whatever he's had a mustache his whole life like fucking like this i go i want to be the completely opposite of this same and it's led to the life that i grew up i to the complete opposite of this and another thing my dad had robbie is which you're entering a great places when i became coach hp oh i'm gonna we gotta talk baseball before you go those two things oh, we yeah, talk yeah, yeah. Real quick. We when i became coach hp my dad was the kind of guy that would be on the baseball field Never played baseball, but really, really knew baseball. Like a lot, man. And he would come and try to correct you on something. Though he came from a good place, the fact that he was wearing a Pepsi uniform, just it just lowered the vibe, you know? And, and that's how yeah. the world works, you know? Yeah. I prayed for myself. I go, God, if you're going to take me this route of being this guy uh, that's Coach HP, whatever, just give me validity, I think it's called, so that when people... When parent, when you tell parents that the only thing that matters is effort and attitude, and your kid, the chances of your kid being the next Mike Trout are going to be pretty, pretty low. Focus on that, and these parents are going crazy, dude. So that was my thing, man. Talk to me about your baseball experience. What position did you play? Are you lefty? Are you righty? Talk to me about all that. As righty, I played. Uh, I I went back and forth between second base and and center field, left field. I was very, very good defensively. I was not very good at the plate. But I'll tell you a funny story. This was uh, maybe my my greatest highlight as a kid. Like when I look back at my childhood, the the movie moment it was July seventeenth, two thousand eight. We're in the All Stars. This is New Jersey District Six Little League All Stars. Little Ferry South Hackensack was my team. We had not lost a game all season. Um, 
unbelievable team, won the districts the year before. I wasn't on the team at that point. Uh, I was the youngest kid on the team, which had just, you know, made my way up that year. And I was such a bad hitter, such a bad hitter. Why? Because you were scared of the ball or just eye-hand coronation? What do you think it was? Uh, I think I was probably in my own head when I went to the plate. It was such an anxiety-inducing thing for me. And when I was in center field, I, I, was, a, I was a savage. I mean, I had my dad's old mitt from when he played. So it was the biggest, most worn-in mitt you've ever seen. They called it the green monster. It was literally green and moldy. It was amazing, though. So we have this one game. It was the semifinals. If we win this game, we go to the championship. My whole family's there. Literally everyone in my family. It was the one game of the season they were all able to make it to. I'm playing left field. Ball gets hit to me. Like I said, I'm usually lights out here. I make a mistake. I take the first step in. Ball goes right over my head. Two runs score. I allow them to take the lead on us. So I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. How, how is this, you know, the one game my family comes to, I allow them to take the lead. We eventually tie the thing up. We go into extras. So in Little League, six innings. We're in the seventh inning. And it's like 11.55 p.m. Now, there's a weird rule in Little League where the game, like, can't go past midnight or else it has to get restarted. There's so, there's something like that. It gets restarted from, like, a prior inning, I yes. believe. Yes. Um, and you were home team? So we're the home team, yes. Nice. We're up to, we're up to bat, two outs, man on second, I'm on deck. Or one out, man on second, I'm on deck, and I'm expecting to get pinch hit for. I'm like, oh, no fucking way. Are they sending me up to the plate here? Please they're don't not send pinch me hitting in Little League, are they? Oh, yeah. And, and, and All-Stars, definitely. In All-Stars, oh, right. it's like where we're thinking, you know, not we would go to Williamsport, but maybe. Okay. Um my coaches were pr pretty, pretty serious. So I'm like, oh. I'm like, please, please pinch hit for me. And they say, you know what? Screw it. We're not going to pinch hit for you. Cause listen, worst case scenario, the game's going to get restarted tomorrow if you strike out. So it is what it is. Only thing we would love you to do. Don't swing at the first pitch. We're trying to get this kid's pitch count up for, you know, what could be tomorrow's game. Fine. Kid right before me hits a little blooper right in front of home plate. We're all screaming at him. Run, run, run. He's not running. He thinks it's a foul ball. Catcher picks it up, tags him out. Now there's two outs. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Now it's really on me, like the pressure of it all. Whatever came over me, Coach HB, something came over me, and I swung at the first pitch, and this was the greatest shot that I ever hit into the gap between left and center. The run scores, game over, walk off. When I tell you, this was straight out of a movie. The crowd was chanting my name, Robbie, Robbie, Robbie. Oh the whole team piles on me. I still got the game ball at my mom's. It was, you know, from that moment on, I think I realized baseball's never going to get better than this. This is like the moment you dream about when you're dreaming about baseball. So uh, that that was like two years before I decided I was done with baseball. I didn't even, by the time I made it to high school, my dad is also my coach throughout my entire career. And I, I had, I was pretty good, so I made All-Stars a ton. No way, so my, se my seasons were very long, and I was like, there's just no way I'm going to continue with baseball. When was but the last that, time you swung? Was always worth it. When was the last time you swung a bat? Nah, not too long ago. I love to go to the batting cages still, and just like, that's like a, a if I'm feeling too anxious, and I haven't since I went, since I've been in New York. Right. Really. So I would say probably three years ago, when I, and I'm moving back to Jersey soon. When hold I move on back to Jersey, I'll probably go to the cages. Hold on, hold on.
So, Robbie Fox, I'm the first. You see the logo there, right? So I'm lefty, first baseman. Perfect. See the glove? Oh, look at that, yeah. So I'm the first uh, influencer, because they call us that now, to sign with Rawlings. Fuck so I, yeah, good for you. It's been two years, going to be three years now, right? See that? See custom? Look so that. This, this is what we're going to do, Robbie Fox. When I... When I talk to the team, I'm going to see if I get you a glove. We're going to customize it. Okay? <laughs> we're going to do green. We're going to do green. We're going to try to go old school, get a green one. Bro, what, green. What, what was your number? Do you remember your number? I was always number one in baseball, which is weird because in hockey, I was 37. But in baseball, for whatever reason, I always wanted to be number one. I think it looked good with because they would put the names on the back of our jerseys. And Fox is such a little short name Fox that it would just one. look good with the number one, you know? We're going to customize it. And I speak at New Jersey a lot, man, because Mike Trout is from New Jersey. Yeah, Tom Shriver. When he blew up, bro, New Jersey baseball, there's a there's an organization up there called US Elite that's up there. It's super popular. And I speak there, dude, like three or four times a year, man. And I have real good, good, good friends up there. So what I'm going to do is, as this thing evolves, I'm going to talk to Ron to see if we get you some going. And when I'm up there in New York, I'm going to reach out to you. We're going to go to the cage. We're going to take some hacks. We're going to relieve the moment. <laughs> we're going to throw some balls, and we're going to get. We're gonna make it happen, dude. How about that? How does that sound? I love it. I love it. My man, I, I again, dude, like I told you, uh, nothing but the best for you. When the episode comes out, I'm going to send it to you. You do what you want with it. But, man, I, I think nothing but the best for you, brother. Thank you, bro. I appreciate the time. I appreciate you having me on. Of course, dude. Hold on one second. I'm going to say bye to you the right way, okay? Yeah. Me end this recording here. There it is. Thank you guys so much for listening to it, listening to it all. Let's learn from something. Let's learn something from this. Let's not just hear it and be like, oh, great. That was a great podcast. No, apply some of the stuff that you heard of it can be applicable to your life. Use it. Nothing but the best for you guys. I wish you continued success. Everybody that listens to this show. I hope that you contribute something positive to the world. Whatever it is, make sure it's positive to help, to keep helping one another to reach our goals and to be happy in life. Subscribe if you haven't yet. I'm Hector Peñate at Coach HP on all social. We'll see you soon. It's your coach. Love you guys. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.